Praise the Lord for that wonderful song, and praise the Lord for the opportunity to be with you here this morning. I've already been blessed by the 8 o'clock service with Brother Latham. Thank you for your testimony and the message. Someday I hope to have all those stories. Uh, if you missed that service, uh, I think it will be online later, and, and uh, you will be blessed to listen to the way the Lord orchestrates the step of a man uh, to get to that point in life. So... Uh, I'll just keep talking. They'll get it. How's that? That sounds good. All right. Great. If you weren't able to pick up that service this uh, the morning uh, earlier, um, go online and get to hear some of those stories, how the Lord orchestrates our lives. And certainly I can say an amen to that. And I just want to say a special thank you. I know this is kind of the traditional way you do things, but it really comes from our heart. Uh, Faith Baptist Church is a special church. And I don't say that in every church I go to, uh, honestly. Uh, I want you to know you're in a special place. As a missionary, it's kind of politically correct to say that. And, and we have some gr- good churches that support us and are part of our team. But Faith Baptist Church is a great church. And if you've been here for any amount of years or if you're new here, you need to realize that perhaps you don't get to travel to other churches. Maybe you're on vacation or you have relatives and you hear about. And again, I'm not trying to get brownie points. You already support us, okay? And so um, I just want to just say how the Lord has used the church in our life. Uh, when we first came to this church, it was through relationship with uh, Doug Miller, uh, missionary with Gospel Furthering Fellowship, and he was the one that lit the flame of Tanzania in our hearts. And so we talked a little bit about that yesterday with Pastor about that, how that all started. And having a, you know, there's a difference between being missions minded and missions hearted. Okay, when we talk about missions minded, we think, oh, it's it's uh, something they think about, right? We think missions-minded. Maybe we even talk about finances. But I want you to know you go to a missions-hearted church. You are part of a missions-hearted ministry. Because not only is this church very involved with us financially, and I'm not ashamed to say our number one supporting church uh, throughout these 20 years that you've supported us, Um, But with the sacrificial Sunday, what an honor it is for us to be here on this special day. Because we actually talk about what you're doing in other churches. (laughs) And try to encourage them about, you know, there's this one church in the middle of Pennsylvania. In Lebanon, Pennsylvania. Yeah, I know you've never heard of it, but it's beside Hershey. And they do this thing where they... 90% 90% to the Lord and stay back with 10. And they're like, really? That's possible? And I said, hey, they're their number one supporting church. Like, man, we got to try that. So I'm using your example in other churches. So forgive me for that. But not only is it this the number one month, monthly financial support, but the sacrificial Sunday, which by the way, uh, we had to get on a medical evacuation flight to leave Tanzania, not because we were sick, but it was the only flight leaving Tanzania. It was the last trip out in April. We were scheduled to come back in June and our flights got canceled. I rebooked another one in May. That got canceled. And so in order to come home for this scheduled furlough, uh, we had to get on a, a State Department organized flight, which cost three to four times more than our normal tickets. And uh, sure enough, as it is every couple of uh, pass to get a, an email from Pastor Burgraff that says, hey, we have some 
special money set aside for missions. Do you have any projects that you would like? And so I shared with him. And I just want to say thank you for contributing to that. We weren't allowed to pay for those tickets when we got on the plane. We just had to sign a note, you know, to Uncle Sam. And, of course, Uncle Sam, as good and faithful as he is, sent us the bill. And uh, y'all helped us take care of that. And the, praise the Lord for that uh, generous, generous donation. I think every project we've done throughout the years, Faith Baptist has been involved in. And can I tell you how rare it is for a missionary to get a letter from a pastor saying, hey, we have some extra funds. Do you have anything going on? I, that only happens from two churches, 40 churches that support us. Okay, so this is a thing that happens to us. Uh, so I, my backup's coming here. I see he's coming down the aisle. But uh, we, we have just two churches that write us normally about that. And so as we get rewired here, I'm just going to keep talking. Go to the pulpit mic, Stace. So as, as you're sitting here and as you realize, well, what, what, what's this whole sacrificial Sunday and should I be involved? And again, I'm not trying to, to be a, a big promoter of, of the finances, but I can tell you what a blessing it has been for us missionaries to be involved in that. And not just the, the, this one Sunday, but as it continues, the Lord has really used that in our life personally, in our ministry, and it's such a rare thing for us to, to get those type of letters. Not just the financial side. Sometimes the missions uh, discussion revolves around finances, but I regularly receive correspondence from Pastor Burgraff giving us an update on what's going on here. And I really feel like it's a true partnership, not just a one-sided partnership that, hey, here's how you can pray for us. And we're constantly being communicated with not only from the pastor, but through the Adopt the Missionary program. What a great program you have. And we regularly hear from members of this church through email, through correspondence. And it just shows us that your mission's hearted. We're just not a name on a bulletin board, okay? We're just not a line item in the budget. We really feel like we're cared for and loved through Faith Baptist Church. And I just want to praise the Lord this morning. And if you're not involved in any way in the missions ministry here, get involved through the giving, through the Adopt Missionary Program. Get to know some missionaries. And I'm telling you, there's, there's very few churches... Uh, that we know of that are doing missions the way that this missions-hearted church is doing. So I just wanted to say that publicly. Um, I'm going to be talking this morning from the book of Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13 and Acts chapter 14. Uh, And I'm going to try not to preach. That's kind of my nature, okay? I'm a preacher-teacher type of guy. And so I'm going to try to use this scripture, but also apply it to what's going on in Tanzania, okay? And you see this uh, picture of a clock or a watch up on the screen. That's to remind me to go fast and finish in time. No, really. uh, What I want to talk to you about this morning, and I'm sure you've seen uh, these type of gears on a clock before, or perhaps a big grandfather clock, or even on a wristwatch, um, the older versions, not the kind that we wear today, the digital versions, you know, the smart watches, but the older versions, if there's any young people out here and say, what is that machine 
up there. That's the backside of what we used to call a wristwatch. You'd wind it up. Some of you old timers used to wear those. Okay, And if you take the back off of that normal watch, you're going to find all these gears. And these gears are connected. And if one of the gears is off or is missing, that, that really makes the watch not function and keep time properly. Uh, there's a, a gear for the second hand that clicks and that second hand runs the minute hand, and the minute hand runs the hours, and the hours runs the days. And so these, all these gears are connected, and one small problem in one of the gears can cause that watch to malfunction. I think the same is true when it comes to missions. I believe that missions, there are many gears that are happening simultaneously all at once. And a lot of times when we think of missions, we basically think of evangelizing, right? Just telling the world about Jesus. And certainly evangelism is a gear, the first gear, a part of missions. But this morning I would like to, and if time doesn't permit, we'll finish tonight. That's the great thing about preaching in the evening service. So you can just finish up the leftovers and that'll get you back tonight too, if I don't finish. So we'll see how it goes. First time talking through this message as it's set up here. But the first gear we're going to call a calling and ascending. That's what gets missions started, that initial call and that sending out. And that's connected to, well, the first thing, evangelism. Obviously, we're there to preach the gospel and reach the lost with the, with the message of Christ. But not just evangelism. It doesn't stop there. It goes into discipleship, teaching and training those who have come to Christ, which leads into leadership, training, those that are going to lead the church, take over the church, and then finally, uh, a reporting and a rejoicing that we can see here. And we're going to focus on Acts chapter 13 and 14 and see all of these gears and how they functioned in the book of Acts, and just real briefly, but then make the application of what's going on in Tanzania. So we get, obviously, a Bible message, but uh, an application of how the Lord's using our partnership and what we're doing in Tanzania through you, through other churches, and to see these five gears at work. So let's go ahead and look at the first gear in Acts chapter 13 and verses 1 through 3. Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Very familiar verses when it comes to missions. It says, Now there were in the church that was in Antioch certain prophets and teachers. As, as Barnabas and Simeon and was which was that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manian, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And they ministered unto the Lord and fasted, and the Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. Our first gear that I want you to realize this morning is that gear of calling and sending. Calling and sending. Here we see the Antioch church. Of course, if you uh, know some of the history of the book of Acts, this Antioch church was started out of persecution that came among the Jerusalem church. The Bible says that they went everywhere preaching the gospel, and some of them went to Antioch. And you have this multicultural church here. You can tell by some of the names. And uh, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, uh, Barnabas end up being sent from Jerusalem to check out this new Gentile church that was being started in Antioch, uh, went to get Paul and uh, in Tarsus and brought him over and they began to teach in this church. They were two of the teachers in this local church. 
And uh, it says that the local church is called into missions. I want you to notice who's being called here, because a lot of times when we use that word called into missions, who do we think of? The missionaries. But really the calling is to the local church. Look in the, again in verse, uh, verse number one in, in, in chapter 13. Uh, let's actually go jump down to verse two. And it says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. So we have two callings here. It appears to me that Paul and Barnabas had already been called. It said for the work which I have called them to. Now, we don't have that recorded. I don't know when that happened in their hearts, in their minds, in maybe the first Baptist Church of Antioch's missions conference. I don't know when they got called. But here's this spirit speaking, spirit said to them. I want you to know who the them is. I believe it's the local church. The spirit said to that local church in Antioch, separate me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work which I have called them to. So here we have a calling of the local church to send those who were called to go. Are you with me? So there's, when we think of calling here, it's just not a calling to go, but there's a calling for the whole church to be involved in missions. You are called to missions this morning. You're called to be involved. If you're not called to go, you're called to send. And so we're all involved. This is a special calling that has everyone involved in. The members... And Paul and Barnabas were not just members, but teachers there were called to go. And that local church was called to sin. Just like we read earlier in the service, how shall they preach except they be sent? And how shall they hear without a preacher? We see those two callings there. We have the calling to go. How shall they preach except they be sent? And so we have the calling to sin. So you're called into missions this morning. Maybe you didn't know that. Maybe you didn't know you were called. And when you hear that word called, you always think of those that have the prayer cards and come by. We're all called. You're either called to go or called to sin. The local church was also a confirmation of that missionary call. It says here that they fasted and prayed and they laid their hands on them and sent them away. The Spirit spoke to the local church and they called those who were faithful that were already serving in the local church. They didn't have to go find missionaries. Missionaries were from right within that church. The local church was a confirmation. Hey, these guys, they knew well. Paul and Barnabas had teaching for years at that point in the Antioch church. And it was just natural for them when the Spirit had called them for that local church to recognize, yeah, we've recognized that calling in their life. The local church is God's instrument to confirm that calling in the missionary life. And the missionary will never do on the foreign field what he's not doing in his own local church. We, not, we just don't become this super serving Christian when we get to the mission field. We do that. We're prepared in the local church. And it's the local church that recognized that call. The Spirit spoke to the church and said, we want you to separate them, uh, ordain them, lay your hands on them, commission them to the work which I've called them to do. And so we see this calling uh, to the local church, a confirmation through the local church. But I also want you to notice this morning that the local church is the center of missions. It's the center of missions. Now, what I mean by center, it means the local church obviously is the starting point of missions. 
It's where missionaries come from. There's no missionary factory out there, okay? Uh, missionaries, listen, don't come from Bible colleges. We go there to get trained, and we go there to meet a great wife, okay? The best thing I got about college <laughs> is Natalie, my wife. I learned some good doctrine, but honestly, I was studying for the exam. I forgot all that stuff, and I didn't learn missions until I got to the mission field. But missionaries come from the local church. They don't come from a Bible college. They don't come from a mission board. Those are all good things, Bible colleges, mission boards, there to help assist the local church. But it's the local church sending the missionaries. We're sent from our local church. The local church is our authority. It's, our, it's the one that confirmed our call. It is the one that is the center of our call. It's the starting point of missions, but the local church is also the goal of missions. And we're going to get to that here, but I want you to realize that missionaries, the goal is to start a local church. I meet a lot of new missionaries these days, and I ask them what their goal is, and they say, well, we're just here to tell people about Jesus. And really, that's just half of the Great Commission. The Great Commission is not just going to all the world and make disciples, but to teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. Now, that's local church planting. We see local church planting in the Apostle Paul's ministry. Sometimes the modern missions is just going and talking about Jesus and doing evangelism or social projects. And there's nothing wrong with some of these humanitarian things. But God's instrument for missions is the local church. It's not just the starting point, but it's the ending point of missions. We want to establish local churches. But it's not the end of missions. When a new local church is started on the mission field, it's just a new launching point for missions to continue. And a lot of times when we think of missions and missionaries, we think of maybe a direct line. He was sent from this local church, and he went and did evangelism, and a local church was established, and now there's a local church. But what we've been trying to teach in Tanzania is now that new local church that we started has a responsibility to start more churches. They're called into missions just as Faith Baptist is called into missions. It doesn't matter that they're in a developing world and maybe they don't have the, the, the technology or perhaps the building or the finances. Listen, I believe this great commission applies to all nations. And the churches that missionaries start should be church-starting churches. Let me show you an example of this. Uh, we took this seriously in Tanzania. We're the Burkholder family. And, uh, of course, I'll talk more about our kids and stuff tonight. Um, but we went to Tanzania with the intention of doing evangelism, but the end goal of starting a church. This is our church in Katesh, Tanzania at the True Center. This is our 15-year celebration, so we have, do have some special guests here. I don't want to give you an inflated picture. But we're averaging around 130 to 150 people in our services. Just this morning when I woke up, I uh, got a text uh, from our leader there, our assistant pastor, Rich, and I believe they had 140, 130 adults and 40 children in, at, at that church. It's a local church, okay? But this church here is not the end of missions. This is just a gear, one of the gears in missions. Now this church has a responsibility to start more churches, you see, it's not the end. So 
The first church that we started through the Truth Baptist Church is the Basotu Baptist Church. This is about an hour away, 70 kilometers uh, up the Rift Valley Wall. There's, it's a fishing village. And this church was started five years into when the Truth Baptist Church. So this church is 10 years old now. Small group of believers. It's gone through a hard time was started with a missionary that was part of our team and another Tanzanian from our church, the Truth Baptist Church, went out as a team and started this church. Unfortunately, the missionary and that young man that he started the church with are no longer there. The church is struggling, but uh, one of the men from the church named Deo, he's a fisherman in that village, he's leading the services. Right now, our church in Katesh will send out preachers from our church once a month to help them with their services. And so this church was started by the Katesh Church, the Truth Baptist Church, which was started by the Burkholders who were sent from their church, and you guys all had a part of that. And so now you can say, well, not only do we have children, but grandchildren. How many of you have grandchildren here, okay? The grandchildren, I think the grandparents, they seem to be happier about grandchildren than they were the children, right? (laughs) So this is kind of like a grandchild of our, we, one of your grandchildren, okay? Uh, so Basotu, Basotu Baptist Church, about a year into it, had some two or three families walking from about an hour away from another village called Basodesh. And after about a year of getting to know those families, we gave them permission to go ahead and start having their own services, this is the Basodesh Baptist Church. How many of you have great-grandchildren? Okay, Wow, just a few of you. The numbers are going down. But great-grandchildren, right? So this would be the third generation of local churches that were start, started with the Burkholders, Faith Baptist Church, Canton Baptist Temple, all those other churches that sent us, the Truth Baptist Church, the Basotu Baptist Church, now the Basodesh Baptist Church. I know these are names that you'll forget, but I want you to get the point that churches start churches. Churches in the local church is the center of missions. It's not the ending point. It's just a new starting point. And that's how we're going to reach the world with the gospel, not by going and starting a church that just sits there, but a church that reproduces itself into other churches. A couple years ago, we were able to have another missionary couple. My brother-in-law, who married my sister, are there on the end. The, uh, I think he's pretty easy to point out there. Uh, but the uh, bald guy on the end, uh, Brad and Tricia Henderson, who worked with us in our church for five years, took a team of seven men from our church, went down the road on purpose, not because we couldn't get along, and started the Endesec Baptist Church. So now we have three church plants out of the Truth Baptist Church. We call them daughter churches or sister churches uh, once they uh, get their independence. And so all these churches uh, are, have the responsibility to continue on with missions. Since we've been back in the States, Rich, our assistant pastor, who I'll talk more about here in a few seconds, have gone out to a village about an hour away from Katesh. We have a few families coming from this village, walking in an hour every Sunday to our church, the village of Wareta. And this is the next church plant. You say, well, I don't understand. Where's the building? In all the other pictures, there was a building. There is no building. They're meeting under a tree uh, on some benches 
And this, we believe, which right now is just a Thursday Bible study, we're praying as a church in Tanzania that God would call one or two of these men to be the leaders of this new church plant in Wareta. What's the next gear? Evangelism. When the, once they were sent out, once they went from Antioch, what did they do? Obviously, they went to target the lost, and the lost were saved. Let's go ahead and look at that second gear. If you've got the first gear, the calling of the local church into missions. But secondly, we go to evangelize. Look with me, and we're just going to get some key verses here. We don't have time to go into every place that Paul went, but I want you to get the point that his priority was preaching the gospel. The preaching of the gospel was his priority. His first and foremost priority in missions is having the lost to be saved. We can help them in all kinds of physical needs, and sometimes the physical needs are needed to draw them to Christ, but the priority was preaching the gospel so they might be saved. Look at Acts chapter 13 and verse 5. Just real quickly here. It says, And when they were in uh, Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John with them. Go down to verse... So in Cyprus, we see them preaching the word of God. In verse 38 of 13, uh, we see them in Antioch, a different Antioch here, not the one they were sent from. In, in chapter 13 and verse 38, it says, And be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preaching unto you the forgiveness of sins. So we have him preaching the gospel in Antioch. In Iconium 14, verse 1, chapter 14 and verse 1, And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews and spake that a great multitude, both of Jews and also of Greeks, what they do, they believed. We see evangelism, preaching of the gospel going on. In Derby, in 14 verses 20 and 21, it says, Howbeit, as the disciples stood around about him, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. And when they had preached the gospel in that city and had taught many, they returned again to those other cities. We're going to get to that next gear here. Don't get ahead of myself. But I want you to see the priority of preaching the gospel. People who are lost need the gospel. They need some clean water. They need some good health. They need uh, other things that missionaries sometimes do. But the end goal of doing all of that humanitarian work is that people might be saved. We have done projects like our school. We have done projects like water wells. We have done projects like eyeglass clinics, stuff like that. But the end goal was always to see people trust Christ as their Savior. Priority of preaching the gospel and missions is being lost today. A lot of what is considered missions is basic humanitarian aid. We must not forget the priority of preaching the gospel when it comes to missions. That's an important gear. It's the gear that runs all the other gears. After the calling and the sending, we have to be making it a priority to preach the gospel. And they preached the gospel, as you could tell, as I read there, it said to the Jews, but also we see the gospel going to the Greeks. They preached the gospel without prejudice. It was being preached in the synagogues, and many times if you read the narrative of Paul in the book of Acts, he would start at the Jewish synagogue. They would most of the time reject the message. He would then go to the Gentiles. He preached the gospel without prejudice. 
And thirdly, the preaching the gospel in persecution. If you go back and read these events, in every city that he passed through, there was persecution. And that's not a word we like to hear, but I think it's a word we might need to get used to hearing. The way things are headed. I'm not a prophet, and I don't pretend to be a prophet, and, but things don't seem to be getting much easier around the world, but also in our country of the United States for preaching the gospel. We cannot let persecution, discouragement, the way things are, the culture, deter us from the priority of preaching the gospel, making it our priority, making it without prejudice, and even doing it through persecution. We see this happen in the book of Acts. And what amazes me is the next year of discipleship, Paul went back to all those places he was persecuted in. He didn't let the persecution dissuade him from continuing on with the five mission gears. Probably one of the ways that when we, when we consider evangelism, and we do all kinds of evangelism in Tanzania, we have a sports ministry and uh, we've done the Christian school, and we use that evangelistically, preach the gospel there. Um, like I said, we've done water wells. We've done big outside events, crusades. We have a weekly evangelism where we go out and hand out the gospel tracts, the book of John, Romans, door-to-door ministry. But sometimes evangelism has to happen, and I think most effectively happens when it happens naturally through the relationships of I'm going to use this word, okay? Normal people, okay? <laughs> that's, that's you, all right? When a preacher shows up on the scene, when a missionary shows up on the scene, the conversation changes. We can't, it's just, that's the way it is. Um, it all of a sudden becomes spiritual. It might become awkward for that person. They're not able to relate. But through normal members, folks, remember, you're called into missions, Probably the greatest in the last two years fruit that we have seen in our ministry has not been through evangelistic crusades. It hasn't been through some special maybe youth event that we've done. We've done all of that. You guys do that. You do the Christmas walkthrough. You do the camps. You have special ways to reach out in your community. But I would dare to say, and I don't know the statistics But the fruit that remains in the local church long-term are those relationships from normal folks reaching their family members, reaching their neighbors. It's a good way to get the contacts out there with these big community events. Let's not stop doing those. But true evangelism and effective evangelism happened best in our church in Tanzania through normal folks building relationships with their people. And it was through one of those difficult times. I want to show you a picture of the greatest evangelist we've had in our church in the last two years. Not Natalie, (laughs) although she's a good evangelist. This is Ima, or Emmanuel. Ima is 10 years old in this picture. When we were home two years ago, we had a call from our assistant, Pastor Rich, saying, Ima is sick. He's in the hospital. Don't really know what's wrong with him. He's very weak 
For the next two years, even when we went back to Tanzania, Ima was in and out of the hospital pretty much every other week. Every 14 days, he was needing a blood transfusion. Initially, the diagnosis was sickle cell anemia, which is very common, especially in African, African Americans. Uh, But it ended up being after uh, months of being in and out of the hospital, numerous blood transfusions, uh, being sent to the capital city, which is 12 hours away for us. The church took up a special offering for him and his dad to go down there and get tested. It ended up that Ima had leukemia. And in Tanzania, there was no cure. They were suggesting perhaps India uh, for bone marrow transplant, which was just not even possible. After several months of suffering, uh, Ima was no longer able to come to church, but before he got really sick, um, he called or he told his mother, I I need to be baptized. And Rich, our assistant pastor, was able to go and talk with Ima and make sure that he knew Christ as his Savior, which he made a public profession of Christ and had been led to the Lord by his mother at home. And this is a picture of Ima uh, at his baptism day holding his certificate. Uh, you can't see it in this picture real good, but uh, at this point, Ema was very, very sick. Uh, and of course, a few months later, we were able to have a service for Ema as he went home to be with the Lord. At that funeral, through the prompting of the mother and the father, who I'll introduce to you here in a few pictures, they said, Pastor, you have to preach the gospel. They live in a, in a Muslim neighborhood of our town. They said, we want you to preach the gospel at the funeral. Emo wanted his friends and his, his neighbors and his relatives to hear the gospel. And he really was a good evangelist. We did not know that until he passed away, uh, how he had already shared his faith with his schoolmates and others who were there at the funeral. As a result of Ema, his sister, Rebecca, uh, before he passed away wanted to receive Christ as her Savior, woke up one morning and told her mom, Mom, I need to believe in Jesus just like Ema has because I know I want to see him one day. And so Rich was called to the home and Rich was able to lead Rebecca uh, to the Lord who my daughter Hannah was able to lead through some discipleship lessons there and make a good friendship with. Not only did Rebecca come to the Lord as a result of Ema, but Beatrice here on the... uh, on, on the, in the black on the left of the screen. You see Mama Ima right there in the middle. That's Ima's uh, mother and Ima's younger brother. Both of them came to trust Christ as a result of Ima's uh, going home to be with the Lord. Through the testimony of Ima, uh, Beatrice, uh, being from that Muslim neighborhood in that background, received Christ as her Savior and then Ima's younger brother. This is Ramadan. You can tell by the name, Ramadan's background. He's a schoolmate of Ima. And before Ima passed away, he had shared with Ramadan his faith. And Ramadan, after Ima had passed away, started coming to our youth group on Sunday night. Ramadan has been saved and baptized as a result of Ima's death. At the most recent count, 
there's been seven people come to know Christ as a result of little Ema's death through struggling through leukemia. It was his parents' decision to use this difficulty, to use this hard situation in order to reach people with the Lord Jesus Christ. They could have shut down. They could have went into their own personal morning time. And that is appropriate. And we all need to go through that, especially in the death of a loved one. But they found it to be a priority to use this opportunity to share the gospel with others. And this has been the greatest evangelistic thing that's happened in our church in the last couple of years. That's had the most fruit that have remained. We've done some crusades. We've done some outreaches. Um, but through this hardship, through a normal family in our church who was willing to use their life and the difficulty that they were going through, were able to see seven people come to know Christ as their Savior through this difficult time. You know, sometimes we don't like the difficulties that life brings, and we can tend to react in a way uh, that it's just human. It's just human nature. But are we looking for those opportunities to use everything for the honor and the glory of the Lord, to make the preaching of the gospel a priority. Many of you have gone through what Ema's family has gone through recently by losing a loved one. Maybe it's been loss of a job, loss of uh, a loved one, loss of something in your life. Are we looking for those opportunities to evangelize? Well, we praise the Lord for how the Lord is allowing uh, difficulties to happen in some of our people's lives, but they're using those difficulties to trust the Lord. Let's look at that third gear right quick, okay? Our third gear would be discipleship. After someone is saved, obviously they need to grow in the Lord. Being saved is being what? Born again. It's a new babe in Christ, and they need to be developed and discipled. And we see that happening in the book of Acts. The apostle Paul, uh, after he had preached the gospel in all those cities, what's amazing to me is what happens in verses four, in chapter 14 and verse 21. And I, and I kind of started to read that in verse 21 of chapter 14. It says, and when they had preached the gospel to that city, it was the last one there in Derby. And had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch. Like, now they're going backwards, okay? If you follow your Bible maps, you'll see them get to Derby, and then they do a U-turn, and they go back to all the places that they were persecuted in. All right? If it was missionary Steve here, and I would have just kept going. I'm not going back there. That's where they stoned me. That's where I had to escape at night. That's where they're following after me. And it kept happening to Paul, but he felt it was so important that we have baby Christians that I left back there. I had to leave in a hurry. I had to leave in persecution. So he went back. And what does the Bible say in verse 22? Confirming the souls of the disciples. They're believers now. He's confirming and exhorting them to continue in the faith that we must, through much tribulation, enter to the kingdom of God. So here we see that revisiting of those churches that were started, those new believers. And what was he doing? He was confirming, he was exhorting, and he was warning. Confirming holds with it the meaning of teaching. New believers need teaching. We just cannot do evangelism without effective discipleship. Bringing someone to maturity in Christ is the heartbeat of this missions gear. 
because without that, no other development happens. It just stops at evangelism. So we have this discipleship going on. If evangelism is equivalent to giving birth or new birth, then discipleship is equivalent to parenting or raising children. Now I'm a parent. Got two teenagers. I'm in the thick of it. Parenting is hard work. You agree? Giving birth, that's fun. At least for the guys, right? (laughs) Every part of it. You know, from the beginning to the end, we had a baby and there's parties and there's showers and there's presents. But where do all the people come when the poopy diapers are there? That's when the parenting starts, right? We saw the missionary testimony, parenting, through any difficulties and challenges. Parenting's the hard work. And the hard work of missions is not evangelism. That's fun stuff, man. I'd love to preach the gospel and show a gospel film and have an evangelistic crusade and, and have all these fun things happen. But the hard work of missions, the hard work of any ministry, doesn't have to be in Tanzania. It could be here at Faith Baptist Church, is discipleship. Bringing people to a maturity in Christ so that they can bring others to Christ. That's where we see real growth. It's not necessarily through evangelism and concentrating solely on that, but evangelism, new birth, and bringing those new believers to maturity so that they can do evangelism. It's been a real focus of our ministry from the beginning, excuse me, to do discipleship. When a new believer comes to trust Christ through our ministry, we have a strategic and organized discipleship ministry that they go through. And it's a one-on-one basis here. Here you see some young men sitting down, and in front of them is a Bible lesson. We have basic 15 foundational lessons that they go through. And every three lessons, there's a spiritual decision to be made. Lesson number one and two are about salvation, and lesson number three is about baptism. And if you're not willing to be publicly baptized, to be identified with Christ, you don't move on. It's a decision-based discipleship. It's not about filling in the blanks and getting all the questions right, but we want to see people mature through Christ. And through this discipleship process, not only are they being baptized, but now they're joining the church. They begin to start giving in the church. They begin to start serving in the church. Uh, recognizing what their spiritual gifts are, serving others, and hopefully by the end of this process, they are a little bit more grounded in the local church. The discipleship ministry we also help accomplish through our Bible Institute. I know this church has a Bible Institute, okay? And I want to encourage you, if you're here as a new believer, or maybe you got saved many years ago, and you just never really felt like you've grown in the Lord, what a great church. What an opportunity you have here, not just to come and sit, but to be involved in those other ministries that this church provides in discipleship. We have a Bible Institute ministry that people can go through and just not preacher boys, not talking about those that are called into full-time you know, ministry, but normal, again, normal folks that just want to learn more about the Bible and serve in the local church. And so we have this through our Bible Institute. And it takes about two 
years to complete the first section and then another two years to complete the leadership section, which I'll talk more about uh, this evening as we finish those second two gears about leadership and then uh, leadership training, but then also reporting and rejoicing. And that's where we see, and that's where we're headed. This evening, I want to encourage you to be back as we talk more about what we've been doing the last five years or so to develop leaders in the local church to replace the missionaries. Because that's our goal as missionaries is to reproduce not just local churches, but ourselves to continue on the work of the ministry. So this evening, uh, with the time that we'll have, we'll talk about leadership training, that fourth gear, and then the fifth gear, we're just going to rejoice and report all that God's doing. We have a short video that we'd like to show tonight, and, uh, and then maybe get some questions and answers in. But I just want to encourage you here this morning, if you're here, and you feel like that calling of missions has always been for somebody else, I want you to recognize this morning, you're, you've been called. And if you've not been called to go, you've been called to send. And you're part of a great church, a great church that you can get involved in sending missionaries, praying and giving towards missions. If you're here and you say, you know what, I'm not maybe called to Tanzania, but God wants to use you to reach out to those in your life, I would have never been able to reach Ramadan. I, as a missionary, would have never gotten an audience with Beatrice, ever. They would have never allowed me in their home. But because their neighbor, who had just suffered the loss of their 10-year-old son, was willing to reach out during a difficult time, God used them. And God wants to use you through the difficulty that you're going through. There are some homes in some neighborhoods and some places and some coworkers that your pastor and this pastor or staff will never have an opportunity to reach. But you do. And maybe God's led someone on your heart today that, you know what, this whole missions thing, it's not about going across the world. It could just be about going across the office or going across the hallway at school or going across the street and sharing your faith with those that God has placed in your mission field. It could be through a difficulty that you're going through right now. Are you willing to let the Lord use that to reach others in your life? Maybe it's about discipleship this morning. You say, you know, I've been, I've been saved a long time, or maybe you were just saved recently, and you have a desire to grow in your faith. You're part of a great church that allows you to do that. And there's opportunities that are around you to grow in your faith and to practice your faith and to get involved in ministry and get to know the Bible more. And I want to encourage you to come back tonight and learn more. But if God is speaking to your heart this morning about any spiritual decision, I'm sure any one of the pastoral staff will be glad to speak with you after the service. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, thank you so much for this chance to just look at this from your word, missions, and how it was done in the beginning, being led by your spirit, being called and sent by your spirit. I pray, God, that you would help us to realize this morning that we're all called. If it's, if it's not to go, it's to send. Maybe there are those here that are called to go. Maybe it's across the room, across the street, or across the world. Lord, you know where you're calling. I pray you'd give them the faith and the grace to answer that call. Maybe it's the call to send, to be more faithful in their giving or their praying or relationship 
with worldwide missions. Lord, I just pray that you would do a work in the hearts. Maybe it's through evangelism or discipleship. Whatever it is you're speaking this morning, Lord, I pray that you would continue to speak. And that your spirit would not stop working because this service is coming to an end time-wise. I pray that they would seek out counsel and seek out help for the spiritual decision that you'd be leading them to this morning. We thank you for the example that we have of missions in the Bible. We don't have to come up with our own plan. We can just stick to what your word says. And I pray that you would help us to continue to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.